0: Everybody, and welcome to episode number 28 of the Lab Epstein hitting the podcast. My name is Jim. Joining me as always, friend, former coach, renowned hitting instructor, professional evaluator, Jake Epstein. See how easy now, after 20, 27 episodes, it rolls off my tongue.
1: It does. You don't have to look at your
0: sheet anymore. Nope. <laughs> the problem I do.
1: You probably wake up in the middle of the night saying it.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. <laughs> The World Series, we have to talk before we get into today's topic, which is a good one. Uh, We're we're recording this on a Saturday as we always do. Halloween, actually. What do you mean for Halloween?
1: Uh, I'm going to be a a
0: U.S. citizen
1: during the pandemic.
0: Good. Um, Yeah. Yeah. That's a a a good one. That's a tough costume. But um, (laughs) that's a tough role to to be in. Um, Yep. But this episode comes out, obviously, on on Monday – November second, the day before which day national holiday? <laughs> I day yeah. Our kids don't have school that day. Oh really?
1: Is that right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's, Sure. It's well, it's Colorado,
0: right? You, you know, good day off. Take your day off. You well, like it? Um, sure. November second is the anniversary, the four year anniversary of the Cubs winning their first World Series in one hundred and seven years. Speaking of the World Series, I want to get your thoughts on. What everybody's talking about throughout baseball now and, and Kevin Cash, that move that he made to pull Blake Snell, Snellzilla, on mm. Twitter. Um, what was it? In the sixth inning, I think it was. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I, I know you, you're pretty passionate about certain game strategies like this.
1: Yeah, that's a tough one. It really is. I mean, most people see it as, oh, that was a, a bonehead you know, move, right? Like you took him out. And they they ended up losing the game. But, you know, I mean, he wouldn't have taken him out if that's not what his numbers said and what the numbers were that got him there all year. So you have to put yourself in his position as in, yes, Snell is cruising. Mm -hmm. This is the third time through the order, and he gives up a quick hit, Mm -hmm. right? Quick hit. And, And I guarantee you before that, Inning started. He probably told Snell, you know, as soon as somebody you know gets a hit, we, we got to go to the we got to go to the pen. So you could tell because he just jumped out of the dugout like there was no hesitation to what Cash was doing. He had his mind made up. As soon as somebody got on base or somebody got a hit, he was going to go to his pen. And he went out and it was a very confident walk out to the mound. So put yourself in his position. What happens if he leaves him in and then Mookie hits a two-run home run? Mm-hmm. Right. And then now he's the goat. Oh, you went away from your, you know, all the data that says that, you know, you go through this part of the order the third time and he gets hit and it's, you know, so he was going to be crucified unless Snell got out of that. inning, You know, otherwise if, if Mookie gets a hit there or he hits a home run off of Snell, then he's, he's the goat for not making the move. And now his front office is upset with it too. So I, you know, I mean, I, I, I know what, most people are thinking is you have to go with your gut. Now, the issue that I had was when you break down Mookie's numbers off left-hand pitching Mm -hmm. versus right-hand pitching, I have an issue there because he hits right-handed pitching so much better. Yeah, And Snell has owned him the first two times up. And then you bring in a guy that hasn't not given up a run yet against the Dodgers. So the move itself, I had more of a problem with because it was, he brought in a guy that hasn't been successful against the Dodgers. And then he removed the right matchup, mm-hmm. right? The right matchup was a left-hand pitcher against Moogie Betts. So, yeah. you know, that was that was more the issue I had. But, you know, I, I feel bad for the guy. And, uh, I don't know. You have to go with what got you there. Yeah. And that was the strategy that worked for them all season. Um doesn't mean that I'm, I agree with that strategy in that position. You know, yeah. um, I think, I think as a coach, like if I'm coaching, if, I mean, even if I'm the hitting coach on that team, mm-hmm. I know that he's mowing down and he's got his good stuff and I'm probably going to ride that. You know, I would have been upset probably as a teammate and as a person, as a coach, if he were to pull Snell out. Yeah. But I under, understand why he did it. <laughs>
0: I, are you, do you think that Snell knew that he was coming out because his his reaction was very much um that of disgust i guess to yeah it was slightly. no it was
1: yeah if you could read lips too right <laughs> so yeah. he he was yeah maybe he didn't believe it i yeah. don't know and maybe he didn't know,
0: you know yeah, i don't maybe think maybe he did know. Just, there's, there's part of me yeah. that thinks he doesn't know i i think kevin cash knew and his coaching staff knew mm-hmm. but i don't think yeah yeah yeah, you probably don't want to tell a guy that. No. I, I don't know. I, I, I guess – well, the guy he brought in next, though, was struggling in the postseason. So I guess – I don't know. That was just not the right
1: – that was not the right guy.
0: I, this is not – it's not a knock on Kevin Nash, by the way. Or Kevin Nash. Um, Kevin, uh, Ka- <laughs> Kevin Nash, the former wrestler. Remember him? <laughs> <laughs> Here we
1: got him you got Steve Nash. There's a lot. Uh, you yeah, got the wrestler though. That's
0: pretty tough. Right? I uh, well, I I thought of uh, I was I guess I I thought of Steve Nash, and then I I put Kevin and Nash together, and I got the wrestler. Um, <laughs> but <Kevin, laughs> but welcome to uh, an episode on him. Uh, yeah, on his wrestling career. I was I'm not yeah. a big wrestling guy, but at all. Yeah. But, uh, anyway, um, but I, I, with Kevin Cash. Um, I forgot what I was going to say. Now, well, we're all we're all
1: messed up. Yeah, we like we have we're all done. Yeah, Kevin. uh, Yeah, but Cash was, and he's a baseball guy, right? He's a catcher. Yeah, you know, he's a former catcher. Yeah, I don't know if he was on the Red Sox World Series teams. You know, I don't know. I I thought he was with the Red Sox at some point, but um, it's it's a tough gig. But you know what? Like that team, I'm I'm glad they were there. You know, should they be on the same field as, as the Dodgers and and their their payroll that they have kind of going on there? You know, no. So I, I love the fact that they were there and they competed and they could have won themselves a World Series, which would have been amazing. And they're still set up for, for doing it again next year. And again, like, you know, you win that World Series I mean, I don't want to downplay the fact that it's 60 games. Because I I feel like the World Series was still the World Series. Like, it still had drama. It still had that energy. It still had the passion. The players were totally into it. Mm -hmm. Um, At least there were a few fans there because it was in Texas. So I feel that it did have a World Series present. Now, do you have – you know, starting the playoffs, do you have the best season teams that are in there? There are a lot of players that didn't play this year because of COVID. So, you know, it is an asterisk season. I mean, it's a, you know, it's a 60-game season with a a larger playoff pool. So, um, yeah, the fact that the Dodgers won that, yeah, they got a ring, and, you know, they'll forever be known as the 60-game season champions. Yeah. right you know i mean that I, I always go back to the expos what was that 93 on the strike season when they 94. were yeah,
0: 94 yeah 94
1: you know and they were cruising and then their season got got cut short well nobody cares about that because they didn't finish out the playoffs yeah. you know but do you say oh this was the team that had the best record overall they should be the champions of the no it didn't happen that way so
0: yeah um there's a. Uh, I want to give you a quick ted williams quote uh since we're not talking that much hitting today i guess but um i I retweeted it and this is from at baseball quotes on twitter Uh, ted williams once said don't swing think about the pitcher what he threw you the last time up his best pitch and who's up next boy that's kind of the meat and potatoes of of the uh, mental side of of hitting and i think at times we've really strayed off that coaches have kind of strayed off that mental those mental cues when they're Mm -hmm. coaching in today's game they are.
1: And, 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 maybe it's because there's so many different layers to how to call a pitch, right. And how to play into a defense. Yeah. Right. You know, um, I, w- I will tell you, that's exactly what he's, I mean, that's exactly what my dad talked about when I was growing up. That's exactly what he put in his, his mental book was know the, the pitcher, the count, the situation and most of and maybe not most importantly, but also who's on deck, who's behind you. He always used to tell me that all the time. Who's more of a threat? You or the guy behind you. Yeah. Like, think about that. Like, is he going to, does he, would he rather pitch to you or would he rather just kind of thumb balls and have you try to get out? Mm-hmm. And that made a huge difference. You know, once I got to college, I don't think that was as big as high school, but once I got to college, that was huge because I fluctuated anywhere from like the three to the six spot. You know, when I first cracked into the lineup as a sophomore, I was in the six spot, and I was the guy everybody wanted to pitch to. Right, I was the young guy. They got through the three, four, five guys. I was six. It was awesome. I got you know people would get walked in front of me. There was always guys on base. He felt like he was through the tough part of the lineup, and then all of a sudden you start moving up. Now you're hitting third or fourth, and it's like okay, now you got to figure out you know who's hitting behind you. Is there a base open? You know, how did they throw you your last time up? Were they successful? So um, it is a fun game, and I still think that's part of the game. I still think the pitcher and the catcher are are on that wavelength. I think in college sometimes it's a little bit different because the catcher and the pitcher aren't calling them. You know, they're they're I don't want to say they're brain dead, but they're just robots. <laughs> you know, they're they they are just okay, what is sign now? I throw whatever. And so the coach is doing all that work. But I'll tell you what, the job of a pitching coach is Um, I mean he's got notes on top of notes on top of notes Mm -hmm. and you know sometimes he doesn't have all of his energy focused on the pitch calling maybe he's got a guy in the pen maybe he's thinking about a matchup down the road like And and then he's like, oh crud! I got to call a pitch, and maybe he's not engaged in calling that pitch all the time. So it is kind of a different thing, but you you definitely still see that at the at the professional level. Let
0: me ask you something. Especially the minor league level. I I wrote something down here. Uh, I wrote down a lineup and I circled it. Um, And you mentioned the spots that you batted in college from three to six. Analytics may not say this, but conventional wisdom with some people may say that the number five hitter this is kind of off topic from what we were just saying, but the number five hitter is the second best hitter in the lineup. Number four guy, obviously the cleanup guy, high power, slugging, OPS, whatever is the number five guy in your opinion. Are you for of the school of that? He is the second best hitter on the team and the guy that you rely on sometimes even more than the number three hitter because of where he is in the lineup, because of who's in front of him, And because of who's behind him in that the, Deeper the lineup goes, maybe the little bit weaker it gets. Maybe not so much at the major league level, but certainly low levels in the minor leagues. And as you mentioned there a moment ago with college.
1: Yeah, I feel that the five hit. I think three hitter is usually your most natural hitter. You know, it's the guy that's going to get on base the most. Okay. You know, so and, and maybe not most natural. Maybe just a guy that gets on base base a lot. You know, he maybe he hits close to three hundred. He hits some home runs, but he also walks a lot. Right, he's on base. And then I have my four and five guys that are going to be more of my high slugging percentage guys that will either, you know, hit a double to drive him in from first or hit a home run. So, like, I always think of my my prototypical number five hitter would be Nelson Cruz. Like, I feel like, sure, you know, man. he's clutch. He hits a ton of doubles and he hits home runs. Um, he would be, like, a really good guy to have in that spot. So, yes, I think the five hitter is is – is crucial in the game. And, and I think, yeah, I mean, they definitely have to be, they have to be your RBI guy. I feel like I think, you know, looking back at my career, I had more RBIs in the five spot than any other position in the lineup.
0: Can the number, so still, so can the number five guy take a Nelson Cruz, for example, here, can he move up to the number three spot at any given notice? If that number three hitter goes down with say an injury or goes on the injured list.
1: That's a good question.
0: Um, I would say so. Okay. Second, so yeah. because he's I mean like, the, the like a natu- best natural hitter on the team, right?
1: Yeah, I mean he could or he bumps up to fourth, and fourth goes to third. So it yeah it it, it depends on again kind of on base percentage between my four and my five guy, or it could be a guy that. Uh, you know, looking back on my career was, I was slow. So you put me in the three spot. I'm going to clog up the bases a little bit. Yeah. You know, if I hit a single, you know, am I going to be able to go first to third on a ball to center? No. You know what I mean? So you, you have that kind of issue as well with, you know, how a guy moves around the bases. So it was funny. I went to Fullerton and I think I hit third. They hit third, and it was like we had a guy named Steve Woodward, and Steve hit like 400 that year. He was a transfer from Texas switch hitter. God, that guy got – I bet he got 30 bunt hits. Okay. Woody Woody was an on-base machine. So he would get on, and then the number two hitter would butt him over. Yeah. And then I had a guy in scoring position like all the time. Mm-hmm. And then it was like they didn't want to walk me at third because the four guy could, you know, hit a, hit a ball, you know, in the gap or hit a ball out of the park too. So I had more first inning RBIs – hitting in the third spot i never really hit the third spot much um until that you know it was kind of when i first started there you know beginning of the season i guess at, at fullerton so yeah i mean the li- lineups are fun you know yeah. and and you go back to you know you go to a high school level or or even you know travel ball or something like that and they just put the top three hitters in the front of the lineup so they get the most bats right so right. there's so many different things and then you know you have do you have another speed guy you know in pro ball that's at the bottom of the lineup you know, yeah. a second leadoff guy. Sure. I don't sure. know. I wonder what's going to happen with the DH next year. Have you read any more on
0: that? I have not. I've I i, yeah, me neither. I also heard that uh, they may keep the enacted extra innings rule. Yeah, I heard that too. What do you think of that? I think it's
1: uh, not baseball, <laughs> but I think it sure speeds up those extra inning games, man. Yeah.
0: Your former, teammate, Steve, your former teammate Steve Woodward. I wouldn't – I'm not – I guess I'm just a purist, by the way. Um, yeah. I don't – I'm not sure. You would have loved Woody. I'm like not him. sure if I'd like the, um, the idea of uh, the DH in both leagues. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm more of a It purist. sure makes the game
1: a lot easier to manage.
0: Yeah. I don't know.
1: Takes away the fourth outfielder a lot more.
0: I just I, – I just, uh, the game's quicker in the National League, too, by the way, because the pitcher – Yeah. Yeah. Uh the extra innings rule I've experienced it personally. So I'm kind of for it, but I understand why people aren't. Uh your former teammate Steve Woodward uh, by the way, uh 42 years old now, his birthday is December 28th. So be sure to give him a text wishing him happy birthday. Just want to give you a quick okay. reminder. Okay. I'll be sure to do that. <laughs> um <laughs> he was he was dra- I think maybe you remember this. He was drafted by the I just looked him up here, drafted by the Diamondbacks in the 34th round of the 2000 draft out of Cal State Fullerton. So
1: he could do he could do it. He didn't have a great arm, but God, he played defense. He was so fast, switch hitter. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was the perfect Texas guy. You know, he was from California, so I think that's why he transferred in with me. We were both kind of like senior transfers, mm-hmm. and uh, he just yeah, he was kind of left. Uh, I think he was a left field. He had a left fielder arm, maybe a bit of center fielder, but he could run. He could play some defense. I mean, yeah. he could – I'd never seen a guy able to bunt like that. And that's just attributed to he came out of the Texas – he may have been a junior college guy, then gone to Texas, then come on, hey, but, but you spend a year in Augie's program, like, yeah. you, like it doesn't matter. You become – that's all you do is bunt. Like they just pound that in your head.
0: You get on playing with the pitch with the bunt and use your legs. Correct? That's it. That's, that's it. it. Preset. Preset. So the
1: Garrido – Fuller now I mean you can go Garrido you can go Horton you can go Vanderhoek now that whole lineage of Fullerton coaches it's all taught and all those practice plans are probably still the same I remember Woody telling me he went from Texas to Fullerton he's like "This is the same practice point like this is we do the same thing as you're as we're doing here hmm. because the system worked you know and that's and, and, and Garrido molded all those guys and, and how to prepare players for competition and Um, it was pretty neat to, neat to see that, but yeah, all preset. So if you look at Texas probably isn't like this now. Price is a different, different tree coaching tree, but Hey, you look at, you look at Fullerton, any of the guys, let's see, Jason Gill. Now is at USC. He's a Fullerton guy. Um, like preset meaning, okay, there's a runner on first base, you know, I'm sacrificing. I'm going to bunt to first. I'm going to preset my angle to first base. I'm going to square early. Everybody in the world knows I'm bunting. I'm going to square, you know, before he comes set, I'm going to sit there. I'm going to preset my angle to first base, and then all I got to do is catch it. I don't have to rudder my bat at all. Yeah. Or first and second, I'm going to preset to third. So it's funny. You'll see that, um, you know, those, those things, you know, when the college, college playoffs start, and you'll see those schools, and I'm like, okay, that's from that coaching tree or that's from this coaching tree. You know, yes. at, when I was at Mizzou, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't show until real late. And Beezer's Beezer's philosophy was, I don't want to show until really late. And and they would wait until the pitcher, like, you know, was in his windup and then they would square around. So it was just kind of a different setup.
0: Okay. So do you think the practice plans are still, still kind of in play?
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm sure the practice plans somewhat have adjusted, but I think the same, you know, God, looking back, like individual defense, you know, we always started with this. We started with this, you know, obviously you get your stretch. But then we would do these little like individual defense. If you were corner guys or middle infield guys, we'd do that for like, and it was to a T, like it was to a minute, Mm -hmm. you know, you would do your little, you know, individual defense drills. Then you'd go into regular ground balls. Then you'd go into outfield defense, you know, then we would break up into, you know, the hitting, but every hitting station had a purpose, you know, like I think at Fullerton we had four, we have three cages down the right field line and one down the left field line. So we either had four or five different rotations and 60% of those were bunting.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's that's not not a bad idea. No, but that's
1: how we won a lot of games on on players, uh, on teams that they couldn't defend the bunt. Yeah, they knew the bunt was coming, but they made a bad throw. Or a pitcher slipped because, you know, on the West Coast, it gets real dewy and the fog rolls in and it gets slippery. So you get a pitcher who's not maybe the most graceful guy busting off the mound hard. Having to plant, he slips. Throw the balls, throws the ball away. Boom! You know, you get a, you get free outs and free runs. So that was part of the process. I think, I think uh, teams and uh, college programs are are much better prepared on defense now than yeah, than yeah. they were. Maybe especially softball. You go to softball. It's like the whole softball motto was let's. Let's make the defense make mistakes. Well, the, now the defense doesn't yeah. make mistakes, so we can't hit ground balls all the time. Now we've got to have drive balls. Yeah,
0: and, yeah, and a lot of college coaches nowadays are using more analytics as well, so that's certainly mm-hmm. helping them out too. Um, mm-hmm. By the way, uh, one quick uh, question I have. How, how, what did you run the 60 in? Because you always say, it seems like every week now on the show, that you were slow. It was slow.
1: I think it was seven 7'5". Oh, it wasn't pretty. No, it was mid-7". I mean, it was so bad that we had scout day mm-hmm. oh boy, my junior year and we went to the track. I don't know why I should have run it on the track. Would have been faster on the right. track, right?
0: More traction.
1: We, yeah. Well, just harder ground, right? Not spikes. Yeah. yeah. So we go to the tractor on the 60 and the scouts are like, hey, Ep, you don't need to run it this year. <laughs> nope <laughs> like we know it's we know it's not gonna get better and I was faster that year too I was so fast I pulled a hamstring that's what my dad told me I did right before the season started I was like damn I feel fast today we were working out indoors you know on turf yeah and I, I forget which coach it was that like that was the best you know home the first time you've had I'm like coach I feel so much faster this yeah. fall He's like, that was, like, really good. I'm like, thanks. So then we're running, like, first to thirds, you know, at the end for conditioning, and I'm feeling it, right? I feel like a butterfly out there. And then I round second base and pop my hamstring about a week before the season. Oh, my
0: God. Yeah, that's a bad feeling, isn't it? Oh. Popping the hamstring. It doesn't just hurt, but you're like, oh, oh no, that's not good. Well, you just know you're – Yeah, it's one of those things. It lingered all year. What do you think
1: the average average 60
0: time is for Major League Outfielders?
1: Major League Outfielders? Minus, like –
0: like, minus a Chris yeah. Taylor and a, and like a, and, and a Kevin Kiermeyer. Average mm. outfielder. Corner outfielder. Juan Soto. 6'7"? 6'7"? 6'5"? Yeah. You think Juan Soto runs a 6'7"? Yeah. Wow. I don't know. What does he run? I don't know. I would, what do you I think he runs? I would have said he hovers around 7. 7? Yeah. Well,
1: I don't know. I think guys are pretty damn...
0: I don't know. I watched... Blackman runs probably a 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, yeah. But I'm I thinking, think a lot of
1: guys run 6'5s that we don't even – Wow, 6'5". Yeah, I know. They that's move. Really like Trevor fast. Story. Like Trevor Story. Well, yeah. Th- that guy needs to get paid. He's a five-star tool, man. I mean, that guy does everything.
0: All right, what do you think Arnato runs in the 60? Six Ooh, that's good. 6'9". 6'8", 6'9". Yeah. I guess a more I look more note though at like at like foot speed. If they have foot speed then they'll have that like Brett Gardner has quickness. He he has foot yeah. speed, so he'll always be somewhat fast even as he gets older or first step guy. enters yeah. closer closer and closer to his 40s. But like I look at a guy like Harper who doesn't have the foot speed. He's just fast for his age. He may slow down. Mm-hmm. Juan Soto yeah. have foot speed. Yeah. I think he's like around 7. Maybe 7. Oh, he four. might I haven't seen him much but I
1: I always see these guys as much faster like i think he just dogs everything that's what it is it's a ground ball he's just gonna dog it could be he didn't want to pull that
0: hamstring no Uh -uh. no the nationals don't want him to do that either um all right well we're gonna get into the episode here before we do though we have to talk about what's going on at the lab this week we haven't done a lab commercial in a couple of weeks here because you've been busy Mm -hmm. with um your um certification courses yeah I, i haven't gotten any emails from the lab recently yeah. What is, so, what is going on at the lab? What specials do we have here? Coming we
1: out. are, pre- well, we're preparing for winter break because I've had a lot of interest. A lot of college players want to come in um, over break. So we are, now this is this would be nationally, players from all over. We're going to do it a four-day camp right after Christmas, 27th through the 30th, four hours a day. We're going to utilize the whole facility. We're going to have live at-bats. We have some guys, some big 12 players that are somewhat local that are coming or at least around the state. I have some guys uh, coming from, you know, obviously some other states from Florida coming in. So that'll be really fun to be able to create kind of a little quasi-environment, uh, you know, D1 competition environment with players from different conferences. That'll be that'll be kind of fun. And then we're doing the same thing for softball, too. Um, we're doing, like, kind of a high school-college prep for softball players that same week. So that's the big thing. Otherwise, our, our membership classes are just filling up They're yeah. We're doing awesome. We're, I mean, kids are doing great. They have a good
0: time. So we are, chucking uh, along, trucking yeah. along. That's great to hear. So for more information, be sure to log on to the lab episode number 28, the lab Epstein hitting podcast. Thank you for joining us as always. Uh, be sure to like, and subscribe to the podcast, new episodes every Monday at nine and uh, check out our YouTube page as well with clips and previous episodes that are continuing to be uploaded Throughout the weeks as they pass on by, follow us on Instagram at EpsteinHitting at Jim Tarrant on Twitter, same handles as well. Um, so let's get into today's episode, We're talking about the Cubs World Series in 2016, Game Seven of the World Series, where the Cubs finally broke that 107-year curse. And looking back at my research this week and all the prep that I did, one they, they won the World Series by the way on the 100th anniversary of when Rig- when they started playing at Wrigley Field. Go figure. They won 103 games, first place for the first time in 17 years. It was 17 years, believe it or not, for a big market team that finally won- that was finally in first place going into the postseason in the National League Central. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the three best teams. Uh, that was a. I thought that was a great. I was that was a great postseason for me personally. Mm-hmm. I was into every single game. That was right after I was hired by the Blue Jays. In fact, but okay. I was I wasn't scheduled to start. The, my contract didn't start until January, so I had those couple of months there where I was just sitting and watching baseball and um getting prepared for the the blue jays gig but i was in washington dc at the time and a lot of people thought that the nationals were the best team going in and some people thought that the cubs were the best the favorite others thought the dodgers were the best team going in we didn't really have a clear-cut favorite i think this year's postseason you could make the argument that the clear-cut favorite team was the, the dodgers they were the best team i think just in general throughout yeah. baseball going into the postseason, even a little bit better than the Braves. But that postseason with those three teams, at least in the National League, you didn't really know. It was kind of a toss-up who was going to have a shot to win the World Series. Yeah, it
1: was uh, – I, I mean, it was fun because of the Indians, right? I mean, yeah. who doesn't – I mean, that World Series between Cleveland and Chicago, yeah. I mean, that that's just – as a fan, that was fun, right? You have two teams that are – Really want to win a World Series for their town, you know. Yeah. Probably one more than the other, but um, you know. And then you know, we had ties to you know. I know Rajay Davis, and he's such a good dude. And then that
0: home run, I think, was that game five. I was game hit, the seven. Home run? He hit the grand slam in game seven, which we will to get tie to, it. To tie oh, it, it. Hit it okay. off for Chapman in the eighth, we will get that. But no, okay. He was one of the players for the Indians. Yes, one of those guys. Uh, I don't want to call him a utility guy, but one of those. He was a fourth
1: outfielder.
0: Okay, fair. Yeah, third, yeah.
1: Fourth, third, fourth outfielder.
0: Not part of the core, but he was that, that side piece, if you will, that helped fill the mm-hmm. puzzle. Um, and look, And another guy who was sort of like that was Addison Russell as well for the Cubs. Uh, yeah. Addison Russell no longer with Chicago. He had some problems off the field, but I never looked at him as a star. I don't know about you. He was
1: supposed to be though. He was. He was supposed to be, but he never turned. Come he never blue, turned yeah. out.
0: He never turned out to be such. He was highly touted when he was in the Oakland system, but the Cubs' core. This is, I think, how you know their core was so good at the time because up the middle, they had, a they had they were pretty good up the middle, but they didn't have that one big piece which was a star shortstop, which a lot of teams that are really good and go to the postseason and win the World yeah. Series have. I think that tells you right there that the Cubs core with Rizzo and Brian, um and, uh, and Baez, Baez was
1: just coming in.
0: Right. Yeah. And, and some of the, their pitchers, it was just that good. They were that good of a core.
1: Yeah, it was. I mean, it was a balanced team. It was, you know, Dexter Fowler was on that team and, you know, he's never been a, A superstar guy, right? He's just kind of a guy you can throw out there. You know, he's going to make great plays on defense. He's going to get some hits, and if he runs into something, it's like that's huge, you know. But they had a few of those guys, right? Because that's and Hayward was, I believe, awful that year. If I'm not mistaken, that was was not a that was not a big good year for him. He was really frustrated and struggling, especially in the playoffs. So it was it was that was a that was a team win you know and that that was cool to see right nobody i mean you had zobra she just had a lot of guys that were just david ross a, just yeah david ross right good personalities it was probably a great clubhouse guys got along personalities matched but i mean they don't have to get along i mean my dad's world series team in 72 there were you know like at least three or four clubhouse fights you know that <laughs> year like they i mean that was that was just the way it was. So you don't have to get along if you guys perform on the field and you all have the same goal once you're out on the field. But this team looked like, a you know, a group of guys that, that meshed well. And that's probably what, uh, you know, Theo Epstein, you know, put together when, yeah.
0: you know, when like that roster. Yeah. Um. Well, back then when your dad, when there was four fights, did your dad ever get in any fights in the clubhouse? Oh, Yeah. Yeah. Why do you think there were four fights? Oh, okay. So he was big. big, big, No, he
1: wasn't. So, I mean, Sal Bando is one of his good buddies. Yeah. I mean, Sal Sal and Reggie got into it quite a bit. My dad, you need to look at that article. There's an article. Just type it into Google. The time Reggie Jackson got his butt kicked. Oh, really? It's like one of the greatest articles. I, I don't know if it was an SI or what, but I mean, it was, I knew the story that my dad told me, but that story was a lot nicer than the story that got published. You know, oh, so they really? interviewed, you know, a lot of the guys that were there. Yeah. And um it's a wonderful article. Yeah, just Google it. The time Reggie Jackson got, you know, his butt kicked or something like that. I mean he may have killed him. My dad was that like you know, I mean he was a meady hands. Oh. hands. Yeah, I'm I mean
0: Google a that and two uh, hundred and thirty
1: pound like linebacker coming at you with no pads
0: on. Yeah good yeah, luck. That's probably that's probably not I'm gonna Google that, and we're gonna dis- we'll discuss it on the opening segment of next week's show. <laughs> yeah. Now, well, nowadays, clubhouse. Nowadays, when you get in fights in clubhouses, you just unfriend each other on Facebook and unfollow each other on Twitter and Instagram. That's really, nobody. Yeah, nobody Time, talks to each other. Anyway. Times are a little bit different. Yeah, that's right. They don't yeah. talk to they, players. Don't talk to each other now, as it is. So, sure. anyway, um, that's why there's no more fights, I guess. But um, going back to what we were saying, with uh, you mentioned Dexter Fowler there, and uh, he had a good year in 2016. It led him to a new contract with the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, what do you think uh, of Fowler? What do you think of Fowler? Um, uh, he he actually homered in ga- to lead off game seven. I'm going to set the scene here in just a moment. Um, but what do you think of his career? I mean, he's had kind of an up and down career. At times, he's been a disappointment. Other times, he's made a lot of money because he was clutch. And then he goes back to being kind of a, a disappointment again, but in, in a different context. What do you make of his career? It's funny, I, I
1: I had a meeting with the Rockies in their front office, probably, I don't know, what was this, two sixteen, maybe 2013, maybe 2012, I'm trying to remember what it was. There was a, a guy named Ian Stewart that was sure. with them and struggling, and so they were trying to kind of figure out what was wrong with him. So I went in and broke down Stewart, Fowler, and Chris Iannetta. Um, those were the three guys that, that, that I chose to kind of, you know, go through. And so Fowler was, you know, left-handed, just not, he's not a gifted left-handed hitter. He just has really good athleticism and, and eye hand coordination, but his swing mechanically is not good left-handed. And then, uh, you know, right-handed, it's much better, you know, mechanically, but he doesn't get as many at-bats that way. And then Ian Stewart had just a big hole in the swing. So I told him, you know, this is what needs to be fixed and this is how you fix it um and instead of them employing somebody like me for a relatively very cheap price um they released him three or three days later or something like that a guy that really had fantastic talent and nobody wanted to fix the issue that he had with his swing that he did at launch like he just used his arms too early in the swing and when you use your arms too early in the swing they go down and then it creates a hole when you bring them back up so Anyway, you know, getting back to Fowler, I, I never was, you know, a, a huge I, – I feel like, hey, Dexter Fowler is going to be a solid player. Like, right? he's going to hit 260. He's going to hit 10 or 15 home runs if it was Colorado. You know, he's going to hit 10 or 12 home runs. He's going to run. He's going to make – he's going to go first to third. He's going to score from second base on 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 balls that, you know, most people don't score on because he has really good baseball instincts. He's going to play good defense – But as an offensive guy, he wasn't a leadoff hitter to me because of his swing and miss rate and his foul rate. Like, that that didn't fit for me. Um, I had him more of, like, maybe a seventh to eighth hitter. You know, if he wanted to bunt more, he could maybe go in the two spot. But he wasn't – you know, he's a big – he's a pretty tall guy. He wasn't much of a bunter. So, I would have loved to spend a couple months with Dexter Fowler because I really feel like what he could add from the left side – Mm-hmm. Would have probably added twenty five points to his batting average and probably close to ten home runs a year he just didn't finish the swing he just alligator armed most everything he had a he just has a kind of a funky hand action and i just all i don't know i always felt that if if someone or I could fix that, he could have been way more consistent than he is now. I mean, why would you, you know, maybe he doesn't want to mess with anything too. Right. He's mm-hmm. like, I'm a big leaguer The the Cardinals just signed me, you know, to a big contract, which I, I didn't really live up to, but I got paid mm-hmm. and I'm in the big league. So why should I need to change? And, you know, sometimes that's not a bad route to take if you're making money and you're setting up your grandkids.
0: A couple of other names I want to throw out again, where this is kind of a Cubs-focused episode, not so much on the Indians, because the Cubs obviously won Game 7 of that uh, World Series. But one name I want to throw out at you first, Chris Bryant, who um, was 7-for-26 in that World Series. He had 269, 8 strikeouts. Overall, 26 at-bats, 8 strikeouts, not too bad, mm-hmm. especially for what the strikeout pandemic. Go back and listen to that mm-hmm. in our archived episodes and what it's become. But he sort of follows his father, um, what your dad... Always has been teaching. Um, Your dad is certainly certified from Ted Williams, but he kind of follows the Ted Williams model as well. And you've done a breakdown on your own separate um, YouTube page of Chris Bryant and his swing, and how at times it can be very steep with his swing plane and a little bit loopy as well. And how if he misses a pitch and fouls it straight back, he's going to be he has a bigger chance to be late on certain pitches.
1: Yeah, he's he just. I saw it when he first came up. Mm -hmm. So this guy's, this is, this is special. Yeah. Like this is a special human being. Like you talk about Fowler and you can talk about Rizzo and you can talk about Schwarber or whatever on that team. Bryant is special. Like his hands are special. He is quicker than most. He's more explosive than most. And his mechanics are very good except for, his barrel's up. Now he was trained to get to the bottom of the ball, right? Get to the bottom of the ball, get to the bottom of the ball. Mm-hmm. I don't care what you do. Well, in order to do that, you got to drop your barrel. So he yeah. gets exposed. We saw it when he came up. I did that analysis, maybe his rookie year or something. I'm like, this is going to be what he fights his whole career. Um, you know, if he ever hits above 265, 260, that's going to be a fantastic year for him, mm-hmm. right? But I do think that he's flattened out throughout the years to try to catch up to those mm-hmm. pitches. His lower body is excellent. You know, his mechanics are excellent. He just kind of swings up more than the industry average right now. Mm -hmm. I think if he was playing in the 90s when Mark McGuire was playing and everybody was trying to throw the ball down, you know, and sinking balls because the the velocity wasn't as much as it is today, then I think he would have been more successful – I think now with exposure and scouting reports, you know he gets he gets exposed. But I'll tell you what, people throw him high fastballs, and you know what? Sometimes he catches up to him and he hits him a mile. Like he's sure. he he's just that explosive with his hands. So um, yes, I think he could. Uh, I think he could be much better than he is. I really do. I think Chris Bryant. And I guess he he he's hurt a lot, right? He gets he gets hurt a lot, but yeah. I just feel like he hasn't lived up to to that hype because he was supposed to be like Juan Soto, right? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, was, yeah. I mean, or better. Like, he was supposed to be the second coming when he came up. I mean, he hit 30 home runs and 56 college baseball games for crying out loud the Division one level, yeah. or level. And then he destroyed the minor leagues. Yeah. And then he got to the big leagues, and he's kind of just been – like, they're not – they don't – I don't think the Cubs care if he's a Cub next year. Mm-hmm. You know, I really – like, he's not the franchise guy that – he was supposed to be his first, his first couple of years in the league. And I, I think he didn't make the adjustments necessary. I think he's the same guy that he probably was when he came up and he hasn't made those adjustments. Maybe he can't, maybe he's tried and, you know, it's just ingrained in him.
0: Uh, Dexter Fowler in that World Series, 7-for-30, hit two thirty three. Another guy, though, I, I want to talk about. Anthony Rizzo went 9-for-25 in that World Series. Three doubles, a home run, seven RBIs. Uh, Brian hit two home runs, by the way, in that World Series. But uh, Rizzo, seven runs batted in. Um, uh, he was, again, 9-for-25, uh, home run, seven RBIs. Five RBIs, excuse me. He scored seven runs. Overall, though, he hit he hit 360. He was tremendous mm. in that World yeah. Series. And to make the argument, we're going to get to this guy in a second, the, he got Rizzo, could have been the World Series MVP. Yeah. I love
1: Rizzo. You know, I mean, I, I don't know why I like him so much. You know, some guys you just pull for. Maybe it's his personality. Maybe it's his, you know, laissez-faire attitude out, you know, playing. like he has fun. He has fun playing the game. But here's a guy that was somewhat highly touted or pretty highly touted in the minor leagues. Yeah. in the beginning and then fizzled like was terrible with the with the with the uh Padres mm-hmm. right and so he got traded there and he was like okay well he's getting older and he got better and he's a guy that makes adjustments all the time like yeah. his swing is so much different now than when he started and sometimes it's funky but he's trying to find ways to to be better and I, I think as a as a as a major league player you you have to do that like you have to adapt you have to and maybe when you have the luxury of having a big bank account, you know you can make those adjustments. It's not the end of the world, right? You're still going to get paid for your two or three year deal that you have. But I feel like he's constantly trying to better himself mm-hmm. as a hitter and as as a hitting guy. I I think that's really cool.
0: Yeah. In this game seven, Kyle Schwarber batted in number two spot. He went three for three. He had three hits. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it wasn't three for three. Let me double check. Three for five. He was three for five. Yes. He had an interesting postseason. Here's why: overall, in the World Series, he had 7 for seventeen, with two RBIs um, and two runs scored. He was at the training site in Arizona taking at bats in that World Series, or excuse me, in that postseason. Do you remember that? And then he he came up, and then they said, "Look, we need you here in Chicago." And he made a real splash in the World Series again, hit four twelve, and he got three hits, as you mentioned, three for five in Game 7. What do you make of him? Because he's had certainly an up-and-down career offensively. Uh, there, he, had to, he was optioned down back to A. They've been trying to figure out a position for him. He came up as a, as a catcher. They tried him at first. They tried him at third at times. That's when they moved Brian to the outfield. Then they moved Schwarber into left, and he hasn't been very good defensively there. So what do you make of his career thus far?
1: Uh... I don't remember him coming up, you know, being like a huge, huge name guy. And maybe because of his defense, right? But, I mean, this is a big physical guy. Yeah. You know what I mean, you, you put somebody with that kind of strength and you put a bat in their hand, they're going to do some damage. Now, what also that could mean is that has gotten him by – to be a successful player right which means he doesn't have the elite vision that somebody like chris bryant has or the elite athleticism maybe that bryant has being able to play third or the outfield and and read pitches so i think schwarber's a guy that you know he he works his craft because i watch his swing he's he used to swing uphill a ton like he used to dump and then really try to lift which may have been part of the the cubs you know forte back then i'm not sure but I watch him, I have BP swings of him where he's swinging like level and down. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's a guy who's trying to control his swing plane. Like when he gets into a game and it's natural, he, he, he swings up probably a little bit too much than he wants to. So mm-hmm. he's constantly trying to flatten that during BP, which is um, I see Harper kind of doing the same thing. So we're always trying to find that yin to our yang, you know, to, to, to find the best thing. So I, I feel like uh, Schwarber, Schwarber's a hitter in terms of he's very strong and compact. But I feel that he he isn't you know necessarily he, he he doesn't have the superstar qualities of of somebody that has advanced genetic codes. sure, I guess that's the best way to say it you know I mean you have there's just certain guys that do certain things, you know yeah. like they see the game at a different level. their instincts are a little bit different, you know they see things happen before they happen. They get that first step that. Is a half second before everyone else's, and I think uh, Schwarber's a guy that works really hard mm-hmm. for his craft to to be successful. And those guys, uh, those are the guys you want because those are your those are your unsung heroes. Those are your guys that lead by example, yeah.
0: You know, but if, but if he doesn't. If he's not doing well offensively, though, he's kind of one dimensional, and now you're kind of stuck. Right? right? He's he needs that. to help for the the DH, the universal DH. The World Series MVP that year was Ben Zobrist. He went 10 for 28, two doubles, a triple, five RBI, two RBIs, five runs scored. He had 357. That's got to be one of your favorite players, like, ever, Ben Zobrist. Super utility
1: guy. It's funny you you say that because I always make fun of Ben Zobrist because of the one thing he does that drives me crazy. When he shakes the bat. He, the, the bat shake oh the, the he's the, the most hands, yeah. unathletic looking setup of any human being that has ever stepped in the batter's box yes. i shouldn't say that there's been some weird one but he, that hey, that whenever he gets in the box it just i'm like oh my god this guy again yeah and he was a scrappy guy i i don't know i mean we can look at ultra utility yes you know uh, did he get hot in the World Series? And yes. Uh, how how did he? I mean, he won a World Series with, with the Royals, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think I think he's a winner, you know, and I I, I think that's kind of that's why I like him. He's he, I think Ben Zobrist is a guy that's not an uber talented you know, crazy – and he maybe he is, you know, like has these special special talents. I think he's he, he seems to me like a gritty guy. Like you give him an inch, he's going to take a foot kind yeah. of guy. I don't think he's, you know, super fast. I don't think he's super smooth. I think he just gets stuff done. Now, I also don't know how he had like, I don't know, three good years. I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know the Ben Zobris career.
0: I don't know. Did he play for oh, – ten? Played- years? I don't think he – He was with the Rays. He had a good career there. You know, he's, in my opinion, he is.
1: That's right. He did come through the
0: races. He is the guy. He's the type of guy where scouts really make their money. You find a guy like that, a winner. He's won two World Series rings, not a Hall of Famer, but he's a World Series MVP. He gets that big hit in the 10th inning as he did in 2016. Great clubhouse guy. That's a winner right there. That's where scouts. You know what scouts always say. We got we. It's it's easy to find the Chris Bryant's of the world or the mm-hmm. Anthony Rizzos of the world. The, the tools that pop out. We need where we make our money is where we find guys who are kind of the underdog or the the diamond in the rough. And Ben's always well, yeah. Kind I mean, of the he's a mid,
1: midwestern guy, right? Yeah. Like, you, you know, he's not a Florida, Texas, California guy. Mm-hmm. I think he went to Dallas Baptist though.
0: Well, not nevertheless, mistaken. he's still a midway so went a guy. To, not a still a midway, right? Yeah, not a big, not a big Division One program. Um, so, yeah, no, better now. Right. Though, they
1: are they've really come on the
0: come on the scene. But yeah, he's just
1: kind of a you know a steady, steady, steady guy. Mm-hmm.
0: So, well, here we just, are. a two
1: sixty. I mean, he's a two sixty-five lifetime hitter.
0: How many home runs? Um. 127. Well, switch hitter, multiple positions. Yeah, he had a, he had himself a very nice career.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's just a, a scrap. He played, what?
0: I don't know how many years he played for. 14 years, 13 years. I could see, I, I see, I certainly see managing in his career, coaching Yeah, in his career, definitely. Yeah, Kind of a David Ross. But see, that's where the Cubs had. Yeah, in their clubhouse, right. David Ross and Ben Zobrist. That's a lot of times it will help you win a World Series. So here we are, game seven. Kyle Hendricks started for the Cubs against Corey Kluber, who was excellent during that postseason. But Corey Kluber kind of struggled a little bit, gave up four runs and four innings in that game. Kyle Hendricks didn't last long either. Two runs, one of them earned four hits, four and two-thirds innings. The Cubs jumped out to an early one-nothing lead. We mentioned it with that Dexter Fowler um, home run. But then Carlos Santana tied it in the bottom of the third. The Cubs went on to score two in the fourth, two in the fifth, and then one in the sixth. The Indians went on to score uh, two in the bottom of the fifth inning. Um, and then the Cubs, of course, added that one insurance run to give them the three-run lead in the sixth inning. I and mean, we fast forward here a little bit to John Lester coming out of the bullpen as well, went three innings, pitched fairly well, gave up one mm-hmm. run on, on three hits. But then Aroldis Chapman came out of the bullpen and blew the save. Lester gave up that leadoff single in the eighth inning. Um, and then uh, out comes um, uh, out of the bullpen, Araldis Chapman, and then of course in that eight uh, the Indians went on to load the bases, and off the bench comes Rajay Davis to tie it up with that uh, yeah with that home run.
1: Yeah, I mean what a what a fun time that was for. I mean that pitch wasn't even a, a with two strike slider, I believe, down and in. Yeah, maybe it was a fastball. It was something down and in. Rajay just dropped the bat head on it. And I mean, for Rajay to hit a home run, right? He's not a home run guy, and that place one nuts. That was so exciting that you know. Yeah. Now the pitch swung on oh, line to deep left field. It is goal!
0: That was, yeah, and and he it was a pitch that was down and in, if I remember correctly. It was a yeah. I think it was a slider down and yeah. in. I, I was starting to wonder. I want to ask Chapman you. Chapman has
1: a Chapman hasn't had very good success with
0: sliders. No. I, and I'm I was starting to wonder. I'm starting to wonder with you, with a guy like Chapman, I want your opinion on this. As you, you start to notice this in the postseason where he hasn't been as sharp always in the postseason. Is it because he's just a big guy, throws really hard? And it's just his body can't hold up over six months because, oh. again, at this time, from if I remember correctly, with that in that game, game seven, November, November second, he was throwing mm. his fastball was averaging ninety seven to ninety nine. Usually, he's averaging triple digits, and his slider didn't have the same bite that it had, say, going back to July. I mean, you see a guy you think I know this is it's we always tired. Does yeah. he doesn't get tired? What do you think of him?
1: I don't know. He's tough. I know. He's tired. Yeah. I mean, this guy's in such amazing shape. Yeah. You know, people, people, people see him and they're like, oh, Chad, because he's just so kind of lackadaisical out there, he's lazy. And that guy works out like a fiend. Like he is a, I mean, he is in tremendous shape. He runs a ton. He lifts a ton. Like he does his work. So you can't fault his preparation. I think, I think he's a hard luck guy. I really Maybe. do. I don't <laughs> think his pitches are that, you know, I, I, whenever I see him early in the year, I'm still like, okay, he throws, you're going to get three fastballs at the top of the zone at a hundred miles an hour. Like who's going to be able to hit that, you know, and some guys do and some guys don't, but then in the playoffs, they hit it. So I, yeah. man, I don't know, are, are hitters just more dialed in, you know, it, it, on, on play in playoff games versus game, you know, 110 or game 34, like, where it's like, okay, Chapman's in, you know. But now it's like the playoffs. Maybe they feel like, hey, Chapman gets rattled in the late innings at the playoffs. Now all of a sudden the hitters are a little bit more confident because they know they can get to him. I don't know. Yeah. I do want to talk about the gun, the the radar gun, because years ago, and I don't know when that happened. and Maybe we can talk about this on, on different times. But everybody talks about – I saw a really interesting tweet, and I thought it was pretty good, and it said – it said if hitters today played even like 10 years ago, they would completely dominate the game because Mm -hmm. pitchers didn't throw as hard and nobody was shifting as much, Mm -hmm. you know, like, and I was like, that's a pretty cool statement right there. You know, he's not comparing like, you know, 1950s, you know, or the forties or, you know, that generation, it was like, you know, 10 years ago when there wasn't the shift. And, And I kind of agree with him, but there was, they they did adjust the way that pitchers pitches are red. Like now it's red right out of the hand, the maximum speed versus it used to be red halfway to the plate. So I will yeah. tell you between the hand and home plate is about seven mile an hour difference on a fastball. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, wow. Like wow. hand, hand to glove. Yeah. It's like six it's 30, to seven yeah. miles an hour from, from 55 feet. That's how much, you know, about release point to home plate. So you know, you and and so when I thought they used to do it halfway, like they took they used to take the average, but now they take it at the hand. And I feel like everybody's when they when they say, Oh, what's his name? Only through nine, you know, average major league fastball was only 92 back then. Well, 92 is like 95 or 96 now. Mm-hmm. So we we need to like bring that to light when they made that. I don't know what year they did it, maybe it was 2010, 12, 16, 18. I don't, I don't know when it was, but. I'll have to look that up. Okay. Because I really don't think that So you're saying everybody- guys threw
0: harder. You're saying guys threw harder than what was perceived back then? Yes. 10 20 years ago. Or I are they or they threw like what what guys throw now on average?
1: I think I think 94 then was 97 now.
0: Oh oh wow. Okay. But it wasn't okay, like but, that's a But can I make I think, the argument it wasn't there yeah. wasn't as it wasn't as wasn't as often though, right? That guys I don't were think throwing. So. I don't think you had that dude. many
1: guys. Yeah. But I think I think this guy said, you know, the average major league fastball was like eighty-nine or ninety, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And now it's like, uh okay, so maybe that's ninety-two, ninety-three. What is the average major league fastball now? Is it right around there? I don't know. Yeah. But we do need to we can't just say, Oh, pitching is because it could be perceived velocity. It could be, okay, we change the way we, we read things. Just like there was a there's an algorithm that changed how home runs are calculated, yeah. You know, on TrackMan, now they're going to use a different system. You know, and it, I don't know. Right. Got to compare apples to apples is all I'm
0: saying. Yeah. Well, that game, Chapman wasn't throwing as hard as he usually did, and he gave up that home run to Davis to tie it. Both teams were held scoreless in the ninth. You remember they had that 17 minute rain delay. Oh, and- that's right. You remember that's that. Right. And, that's and, right. and that's what pushed this game to be over four hours. It was almost a yeah, half-hour game. Right. Yeah. Well, in the, during that rain delay, and this is uh, according to uh, the Chicago Tribune, Cubs right fielder Jason Hayward called for a team meeting And told them we're the best team in baseball for a reason. Stick together and we're going to win this game. And they went out there in the 10th inning. They scored two runs in the top of the 10th. Kyle Schwarber let it all off off Brian Shaw. Um, Chris Bryant hit a deep fly ball to center. Albert Almora, who was pinch running for Kyle Schwarber, tagged up, advanced to second. Um, And then, of course, after Rizzo was intentionally walked, Ben Zober stepped up. Uh, He was 0-4 for in the game up to that point, but then he delivered that clutch RBI double, and the Cubs would underscore those two runs. The Indians scored a run in the bottom of the 10th, but ultimately they fell short, and the final out recorded 5-3 Chris Bryant to Anthony Rizzo. A little bouncer slowly toward Bryant. He will glove it and throw to Rizzo. It's in time, and
1: the Chicago Cubs win the World Series. The Cubs
0: come. There you go. And Chicago has went nuts. And for the next week, all you heard was that Cubs song that they play when they win. Yeah, right. Their own song. And
1: everybody had a W flag in my neighborhood because we have all these Chicago
0: transplants in here. Okay, And you know
1: what? I haven't seen those flags since. That's all I got to say.
0: Oh, so you're saying that they are fair weather fans.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. No, I'm just saying that when they get excited, they get really excited. Okay. All right, so I just looked up that.
0: Fairweather. Like oh
1: no, 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 not Fairweather Pants. I think it was 19 or 2017. 2017 or so is this article. It looks like it's only one mile an hour. Mm-hmm. When StatCast, PitchFX changed to StatCast or something, it went from essentially 93.5 miles an hour to 94.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Anyway, so it was about you know, almost a mile an hour uptick, not three to four. So it wasn't that big of a difference.
0: Well, that wraps up this week's, okay. uh, this week's episode talking about the Cubs in Game 7. I hope we hit on everything. If we didn't, please feel free to email us, jimbopodcast21 at com. Again, jimbopodcast21 at gmail.com. What do you make of that Cubs team? Just looking back on it now, what lasting legacy do you think that team has? Because if they didn't win the World Series that year, there's no guarantee they would have done it in the next – years and then the year after that and then and here they are maybe on the cusp of possibly rebuilding as we do this episode um in 2020 so what do you think the lasting legacy of that team will be
1: leadership uh, i think that was a a, t- a team of leaders mm-hmm. i think a team of personalities you, and yet you had, you had a pretty good mix of veterans in there even miguel montero right was didn't he spend a lot of time with the Diamondbacks? like he was late in his career mm-hmm. you know hayward mm-hmm. Zobrist, got an experience. Rizzo, great personality. Bryant was young, but um, obviously, you know, he and Rizzo have a special relationship. So I, I think it was a, a team, you know, uh, that, that, was, that was assembled correctly. And, and David Ross, right, was, yeah. was on that team. So um, pitching-wise, you know, Lester couldn't remember. He couldn't pick anyone off back then. He never threw to first base. That was like a big deal. Um, and then they went and bought Chapman for that year if I'm not mistaken, right? They got him that year and then he went back to New York the next year. So, you know, they, whatever they did, they they did it right. You know, Joe Madden uh, pulled all the right, uh, pulled all the right scenarios out of his hat and they got themselves a ring and, and that's what the city of Chicago needed.
0: Yeah. You know, Joe Madden is no longer with the organization. They've gone through some changes, and we'll see what happens in 2021. You mentioned that that core, I mean, Chris Bryant may not be a Cub next year. That core may be breaking up. So certainly it was a, I certainly was—I thought it was a, one of the best postseasons in the last five years. And uh, again, on the anniversary today, November 2nd, of the Cubs winning the World Series, Game 7, finally breaking that curse. Uh, very, it was a very fun game, too. And by the way, TV ratings were through the roof for that. 40 million people tuned into game seven of the world series that year indians against the Cubs, 40 million people
1: and they also broke a record on the w flags that were sold in the yes, united states
0: for those fair weather fans as you mentioned <laughs> well be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast to get new episodes every monday at 9 a.m we are on multiple platforms iheart pandora tune in wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Google, Spotify, and uh, be sure to email us to your questions, Jimbo podcast, 21 at gmail.com. Follow up and I on Instagram and Twitter at Epstein hitting at Jim Tara. I do have a question for the podcast this week. It comes to us via my Instagram at Jim Tara from 80 number five. He writes, hi, Jim. I have a question for the podcast. What is the best approach for kids transitioning from coach pitch to kid pitch? I coach my son's team, and it seems like when I tell the kids to be aggressive, they swing at bad pitches. Also, when they face a kid who is throwing strikes, they're often late. What are some things parents and coaches can do to help these young players with a simple approach and timing? Good question from a loyal listener in AD number five.
1: Yeah, that's uh, – what a great question. and I mean, it's, it's – we deal with that at the lab all the time because we have elementary groups. It's our youngest group, and we see teams practicing, and – you know coach pitch is great everything's a strike kids aren 't afraid so typically when kids become kids throw to other kids they they 're afraid and they stride late. they wait to read the pitch, is it going to hit me or is it going to be a strike? Then they make up their mind to step and swing that 's a problem that actually that problem leads much further further down the road that we see with ten eleven year olds so uh, my suggestion is to increase the velocity a little bit. Use a machine. Mm-hmm. If um, a, Have the kids inter-squat a lot. Have the kids throw bullpens. You know, if they're pitching at practice, have a hitter in there. doesn't mean they have to swing, but have a hitter in there facing them. Um, maybe do a, a scrimmage once a week, even if it's just a, you know, every kid gets one at bat kind of scrimmage against one of the pitchers that are getting their work done. So I'm a big fan of the, you know, the more reps they can see, the better. And machines can really help with that because, especially if you have a machine with a a good feeder like we do where the kids can time it, you can get them to stride before the ball comes out. Okay. It doesn't mean they're striding early and stopping, but they're starting the motion of loading and stepping as that ball is getting released. And if we can change it so they can stride and think, yes, 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 no on every pitch versus I don't know. Yes, it's a strike and then they're late or, you know, they, 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 take it because it's a ball that's just a bad habit to get into so we got to get into that yes 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 no mindset and the best way to do that is to just give them a little velocity off a machine have them try to time it early you know you can use a hack attack machine if you guys have access to those and you don't have to have the big old barrel feeders you can use just a small 15 ball feeder and that will really help the kids get going
0: Well, great episode this week. Next week, episode number 29, we'll be talking about uh, approaches and different counts. And and I mentioned you and I talked about that prior to recording the episode. You're pretty excited for that topic next week.
1: I'm easily excited, Jim. Anytime I get to talk to you, I'm excited. But yes, changing. I know they do. Not the minority there. Yes. (laughs) Changing (laughs) approach mid at bat that'll be pretty cool stuff
0: we'll talk about that next week thank you for listening Um, like and subscribe thank you we'll talk to you next week everybody